Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch and I'm the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. How are you? I hope you're all well. Today my guest is Phil Church, the Senior Professional Game Coach Development Lead at the Football Association. Phil joined me to talk about the Coach and Technical Director Education Programs at the FA, from the selection processes to the game mapping that shapes the courses and the coursework. Interesting stuff, I'm sure you'll agree. But before we get into it, I wanted to draw your attention to a couple of upcoming leaders' virtual roundtables. Firstly, we look at coaching the coaches, definitely a topic relevant to this conversation today. And that roundtable will take place on Tuesday, the 18th of August. Next, on Thursday, the 1st of September, we explore collaboration in high-performance environments. Then there's a session on environmental profiling with Dan Jackson of the Adelaide Crows. That's a member case study on Tuesday, the 6th of September. Dan and the Crows are longtime friends of leaders, and many of you may have met Dan at leaders' events in the past. And a final one with which to mark your card, leaders' performance advisor Dr. David Fletcher of Loughborough University will host a second session of his performance support series, which looks at the practicalities of evolving team culture. Exciting stuff, there's no doubt about it. And if you're not yet a Leaders Performance Institute member, but like the idea, please inquire about joining at leadersinsport.com. And now, on with the show. So Phil, I'd like to start by asking you to describe your role, as well as the courses and programs under your remit at the Football Association. Could you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, sure. So my title is the Senior professional game coach development lead at the FA. So I work within FA Education, which is England Football Learning now, we've we've rebranded. And I work within the professional game team in coach development, and we've split the professional game team into youth development and, and senior game development. So I lead a small team of excellent coach developers and uh, our mission statement is probably a good place to start with how, how we work. And it's to increase the number of English qualified leaders, which is managers, coaches, technical directors working at the highest levels of the game. So English qualified means exactly that. They need to have been through our pathway. Our system doesn't necessarily mean they need to be English, but they've come through the FA pathway. So that's the mission statement for us. We're trying to get those leaders coming through our pathways, working at the highest levels. Um, And then we've got a program, a suite of programs, a suite of courses that we run that drop out of that. Um, But the intention is to sort of impact with a, a footprint in the senior game. I assume you enjoy your role as well. You're really in at the heart of it all, at the heart of performance and you must find your work quite gratifying as well. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I love it. And I recognise that I'm fortunate to rub shoulders with some of the people I'm able to rub shoulders with too, because they're, they're working at some of the highest levels that exist. So they're highly capable, fantastic, innovative people, top practitioners. So I, I recognise that and I, I think I am fortunate to do that. But yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy learning and education and I'm driven by football and I'm driven by high performance and developing culture. And the team that I'm working within, you know, the, the, the team, the senior game team, I think are fantastic and we've got fantastic opportunity to, to turn the dial. And I think the wider team at the FA are doing some brilliant work. So yeah, I, I do. I enjoy my role. I can hear your excitement and your enthusiasm as well. And I'd love to continue by asking you about some of the courses that the Football Association provides. I wondered if you could perhaps outline some of those for us. Sure. So the, the ones that I'm specifically responsible for, there's, there's three courses, essentially, and three programs. Uh, and the courses uh, are the UEFA A license, the UEFA Pro license, and the FA's technical director course. And then we have three programs within my remit, and that's where they become more fluid. But we have an alumni program. Specifically, at the moment, that's for holders of the UEFA Pro license or technical director course. And that's an ongoing engagement piece. It's a support 
ongoing. The idea behind that is when you get your qualification, that's not the end of the relationship with the FA. We want to be engaging with the, the professional game all the time. So if that's support, if it's, if it's CPD, if it's just a relationship for advice or insight, then we want to continue that. So that, that alumni program is in that space for the pro license and tech director holders. Uh, we have a program specifically for, uh, we've called it player to coach program. So specifically for England men's players coming to the end or transitioning from playing into coaching. Um, so there's a specific program for that. And then we have another wider program that we've, we've just changed the terminology on it this, this season, actually. So it's going to be high potential, high performance. And then what we have with that is we have opportunity to be more meeting the needs of the game, I hope. So that's where we can get insight from the game more readily and offer opportunities and support for specific groups, demographics, where we think we can add some value. Fantastic. And looking at your FA courses in more detail, what does the selection process look like for those various courses that you described? How are candidates assessed? What are you testing for? And how have you decided upon the criteria that you use? Yeah. So there's some commonality around how we do it across the, the three courses. Before I go into, I think, the specific selection, I, I think the biggest advantage we have within the FA and particularly within education, I think, is the relationship we've got with the professional game. So we have a, a whole team of youth coach developers, the FAYCDs, and there's a smaller team of senior game coach developers and a smaller team of um, WNCDs, Women's National Coach Developers. And their role, to a large extent, is out into the clubs and with the coaches and the players in, in the clubs, working with them, supporting them, adding value, supporting through courses and programs, or adding support with the head of coaching or academy manager. And so what we have is we have a good relationship with the game. But what that also gives us is a, as a, an understanding of the landscape of the professional game. So we have a certain level of insight about what's happening within the game, uh, the practitioners within the game. So I think that gives us a solid base because the relationships are good. and they do a really good work. So the coach developers that go into the clubs are adding value. They're partly because they're going in and offering a gift. You know, how do you want some support? How do you want some help? What can I offer? But partly because they're good. So they're offering some value that the clubs value. So I think that's a good start point for us. And what that allows us to do is to be able to understand the landscape when people are applying for courses to some extent. So from that perspective, in terms of the selection process, it's, it's, there are some prerequisites. So if it's a UEFA qualification, you need to have the previous qualification in order to do the next one. So if you want to jump onto the UEFA A license, one of the prerequisites is that you have to have the UEFA B license and completed that. Similarly, for the pro license, you need to hold the UEFA A license. So there's some simple things like that that exist, and some of them are mandated through UEFA. And then there's other areas that we would be more specific around. So uh, an example would be for the UEFA pro license. Our focus on the UEFA pro license is centered around um, the, the senior game. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't mean that everybody who is accepted onto our UEFA Pro Lens has to work in the senior game right now. Um, we have other coaches and people who apply and, and are accepted onto the program who, who are 18s coaches, 23s coaches, working across men's and women's games. Some of them are coach developers, but the focus is more specifically around the, the senior game. So that's something that we've created. And part of that is because we have a capacity piece. So we have 24 places on the Pro License every year. We have over 100 people apply every year. We have 120, 130 this year have just recently applied um, this month. So, so actually the difficulty we have is we have to um, mitigate against that somehow. And our focus at the moment is on the senior game. So some of the, some of the areas and some of the selection processes are, are mandated by UEFA. Some of them are a sort of an area of focus for us within the FA because we think that's what the game needs at the moment. I think one of the other things you mentioned about the selection process. Yeah, so that varies. I mean, in terms of um, the start point would, would typically be 
a demonstration of of your experience and knowledge and skill set. So that comes with letters of recommendation. It comes with um, CVs. It then comes from a, a recognition or a recommendation from somebody at the club. So if it's if it's in the academy space, it might be a recommendation from the head of coaching or a recommendation from the academy manager. If it's if it's in the senior game, a recommendation from a director or maybe the manager if you're a first team coach. Because what that also gives us is a little bit of buy-in from the club. So we're going to support them at our end from the FA. But let's recognize that the club are supporting them through this process as well. So when the coach developer comes in to see the coach in situ, that that's accepted and that's okay. And the club are buying into that. So there's an element of a sort of almost like an informal contract that we're trying to gain from that piece as well. So we get, we need some recommendation from the club. We need some recommend, uh, sorry, a letter of um, application plus a CV. And then I, I suppose a second layer is where we would collaborate with internal, with internally, we would collaborate. So we would the, the coach development team, the national team coaches, maybe the technical director. So we would have conversations and, and look at the selection piece, but also we would collaborate with perhaps the PFA and they have a coach development team out there doing some brilliant work as well. So if the coaches who are applying to come on the courses, they may have been through the PFA's programs. So if that's the case, we can, we can discuss that and understand where they're at and what their needs might be. So we get a reasonable understanding. So we try to collaborate with it as well. When we get to, again, then there's some differences. So if we're talking specifically one of the points of difference we have with the selection process would be for both the technical director course and the pro license. So the final step for those two programs is actually an assessment centre that we run at St. George's Park. It's a one day event, um, the final stage applicants to St. George's, and we, we run a series of exercises and tasks through the day. And then we have a, a set of criteria against which we would score them. The other part of that is underpins that is we've worked for a number of years now on a set of competencies, coaching competencies, and a set of leadership traits. So we use those through the program. They're not just for the selection process. We're looking to adapt and, and improve people's understanding and, and skill set around those competencies and around those leadership traits through our program and then beyond. But actually, we use those at the start through the selection process as well to appraise and to, to give comment on. So it's quite an intense day. They get put through some, some challenges and tasks and, and we're looking for different things. So we might be looking for behaviours, we might be looking for time, we might be looking for aptitude, we might be looking for how they communicate and collaborate as a group. We're looking for certain markers and we, and we would score appropriately and so we're trying to add a level of somewhat objectivity to the process and then make it consistent through the programme. So it's not, like I said, it's not just through the selection, it, it's taken forward to the course as well and then we look at how we can improve those competencies. So that's quite a unique piece for us. and. Typically, those that have been through the process are generally, um, I wouldn't suggest they enjoyed the process while they were going through it, but when they reflect on it, they're really, it's powerful. It's powerful. So yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a point of difference, I think maybe that was worth mentioning. And just picking up on something you said there, Phil, are you happy with the balance between objective and subjective measures in your selection process? To some extent, yes. I think with some of the objectivity, some of them are concrete. So have, do, do they hold the UEFA A license and have they completed that? That's simple. So that's, that's important and necessary, yes. Some of the ways we've tried to add layers of, again, I, I use the phrase somewhat objective or objectivity with the competencies and the traits. Um, there's always going to be an element of that that's subjective too. So what you think might be a fantastic way of designing sessions, and I think it's only a, a B plus. There's something in that that we would have to moderate against, and we do have some of that work internally as well. I think there's probably some work to do on how we gain some more objectivity but as a balance, I think we also need the subjectivity as well. So I think generally my answer would be yes. Right. And how has the landscape of the game impacted how you shape courses at the FA? How do you undertake any landscape mapping, for example? Or 
what are some of the benchmarks you've established? So yeah, the landscape mapping is an interesting question. So again, as as we think we have a reasonable handle on the landscape of the game because we've got we've got soldiers on the ground who are in the clubs all the time. That doesn't mean we know everything, but it doesn't mean we, it means we probably don't know nothing. Because we've got that, we have a, a loosely termed talent map. So what we have is we have an understanding and a mapping process that's ongoing. So that is where, again, internally we collaborate, the FAYCDs, the national team coaches, along with the senior game and, and the WNCDs, we would continually be meeting to talk about the people who are out there working in the, in the space uh, and looking at what their needs are, where they're at now, where they've moved to, what are their challenges now. So I think we, we, we have a reasonable handle on that. And as such, we have a, a talent map that we've developed and that is ongoing. So we have that for, for the coaching and managing um, piece. We have that in place and it's ongoing. And we're just starting to grow that for the talent ID area as well. So that, again, I, I think gives us a good understanding of the landscape. I wouldn't suggest that that is something that we hang our hat on as the specific answer for everybody at every particular time. But it definitely gives us an understanding of where people are at, what their needs might be and how we can help support them. We would seek the, 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 the input from the professional game a number of ways. One would be informally through the day-to-day contact we have. But also, we, we um, actually, we just contract with an organization now to do just that with the UEFA Pro License and the alumni. So they're going to formally set up a, a review process that includes interviews and surveys, et cetera, to get the feedback from people who've been through the programs to say what was good, what wasn't, what did you want more of, what did you want less of. So we will do that formally through the different programs to allow the people who've been through it to feedback and say, this was good. I want more of that. That didn't fit my job at all. So there's some formal ways of doing it. And then informally um, through the people that are on the program again and, and together as a group, we're always looking to uh, push the envelope. We're always looking to improve what we're doing. So I suppose that intention allows us to be working with internal agencies, outside agencies to see what good best practice might look like. And then we will you know, work towards, you know, adapting and amending on a continual basis. Every year there's a review of each program and, and we'll adapt and amend that way. So some of it comes directly from the game. Some of it comes um, informally or, or formally from the game and some of it comes from outside the game, I think. You talked a little bit about the experience of people taking your courses, whether it be the UEFA A, the UEFA Pro License or the Technical Director's course. How do you and your team during that process, while they are studying, while they are preparing for that qualification, how do you and your team look to support those cohorts? Simplistically, the, each course will look at three ways of engaging with the learners. One would be everybody together, working together, and there's different ways that we'll do certain pieces of work. Then they will set up smaller tutor groups, and there'll be threes, fours, five, sixes that we'll get together regularly in between maybe the main modules. And then there's the individual work that we'll do and we'll go and visit with each individual learner in their workplace, in their context with their players, with their team, and we'll get an understanding of how they work and operate, what their successes are, what their challenges are. And I think that gives us a number of different benefits to be able to you know, support and, and help the learner. And the first is when we're all together, there's a really good knowledge share. And, and we recognize that when we've got a group in a room, the value that we're adding in terms of content, in terms of presentation has to be a, a high, high level. So we have to be giving them something that's good, that's really good, that's going to stretch them, that's going to challenge them, that's going to be really insightful. At the same time, we also recognize that the people in the room have fantastic knowledge. So how we facilitate that and they have that peer-to-peer learning, they have that shared problem solving. We build that into everything we do when they're together as well. So we have that togetherness and then we have the smaller groups. Now, when we have the tutor groups, it should be led by the group, not the tutor, but the tutor facilitates. And what that means is sometimes it's a bit more agile. They can go after 
certain areas of focus that the, the, the four or five of them want to. And there might be more uh, availability for a smaller group to get access to certain areas or to be able to deep dive into a certain you know, theme. So there's some, some value of the smaller groups. And then the individual piece, for me, it's about the person, not the course. So if I'm going in to support somebody who's on the UEFA Pro license, when I'm in the club, what we're talking about, what I'm trying to help them with or understand or support them on... Um, might be about the program. It might be about the pro license, but it might not. And that's okay because it's about them and how I can help them develop their leadership skills, how I can help them work on certain challenges they've got in their context. And that's where there's real gold dust because then it's about them. It has to be personalized and connected. And that's our language, but that's, that's how we try to frame it. So yeah, that's the sort of three areas that we try to simplistically support the people through the course. And the last thing I'd say on it is I, I guess what we're trying to create is that it isn't just a course, that of course it is. So there's an end point. They'll pass that qualification. And then that piece of work or the way that that works will, will come to an end. But we're trying to develop more of a community of practice, more of a, an ongoing relationship where it is the game teaching the game, where it is peer-to-peer learning, as well as some input from us and some engagement and facilitation from us. That's what we really want. So it's not just a standalone course. It's actually this ongoing community that they can lean on, gain insight from over time. That's how we're trying to set it up. And I wanted to illustrate the distinction between the courses you provide. So you mentioned the UEFA A license, UEFA Pro license, the technical director's course, but also you mentioned your alumni program, your player to coach program, and your high potential, high performance program. You've told me that they are perhaps more fluid than the courses, but how did they come into being and what is their intention and purpose? Uh, well, they're different. So the alumni program is specifically to maintain the engagement and and. At the moment, as I said, it's specifically for the pro license and technical director holders. Part of the thinking for that is it's the top level of qualification that the FA offer, that we offer. So once you've got that course qualification, there isn't another one to get beyond that in that field. Um, so my question is, what next? So how do they keep developing, improving and gaining support and insight and getting CPD hours? So part of it was to support beyond the courses when there wasn't another course. But the bigger picture really is to keep that engagement. How do we keep having an impact and adding value to the professional game, to people who are highly qualified, highly experienced, and make that more of that community of practice so that we're able to offer some support? Again, if I come back to our mission statement, it's to increase the number of English qualified leaders, managers, technical directors, coaches working at the highest levels of the game. And this is one way we think we can keep helping. And for others, it's different. So, so the player to coach programs specifically to you know help assist some of that transition for England players transitioning into coaching managing or technical director type of space so we've got something specific for them that's placed we pitch it in between a license and pro license so it's not a start point it's not that 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 player has just decided at the age of 35 that they're going to do something different now they've typically gone to a point where they're completed their B license, maybe they're about to start their A license. And actually, it's just an accelerated piece in between that as well that can give them some additional areas that, that might be useful for them when they, when they transition. And then there, there's other areas. So each, each, the purpose for each is, is specific, I think. But you're right. What I did say is I think there's opportunity to be a bit more fluid, amend and adapt along the way. And perhaps to your point earlier, meet, meet the needs of the game a bit quicker, perhaps than we can with the course, which we would need to take more time to think about the structure its impact around the courses around it because we try to link them as a pathway through. So with the programs, I think there's more opportunity to be more reactive in a positive way to the names of the game, uh, the needs of the game. And that's where your communities of practice must come in very useful as well, right? In terms of keeping that relationship going, nurturing those relationships and adding value ultimately. Yeah, well, that's, the, that's what we hope. Yeah, because ultimately what, what, what we want is that to become the, the community, that the, 
that we input on it, but it's actually generated by the football world. So, so yes, the answer is yeah. It 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 really is that that as we can knit together some of those areas too. So the other interesting thing about that is how do we bring the pro license holders and the technical directors holders together more often so that they gain a better understanding and, and levels of relationship with each other. How do we get some of these really talented A-licensed coaches coming through some access and insight and, and exposure to some of the pro license leaders and decision makers? And so how we knit it together is part of our world, but it's, it's all linked to that you know, ongoing offer of developing that community of practice. And what about the leadership elements of the player to coach program? How are they developing and what do they look like ultimately? Well, we took a lot of the thinking for the program from the technical director course and the, and the pro license. And part of the thinking for that was, as I said, when we pitch it between A license and pro license, our coaching pathway is very heavily um, weighted in terms of the coaching, the player development, the coach development, session design, a lot on the grass, other areas around it, but it's a heavily coaching focused qualification up to the A license. Um, We're looking at right now putting more leadership elements within the A license as a better step to pro license. But actually that that was a need that we thought that they could get in between A and pro because perhaps some of their experiences and understanding of how the world of football works at a good level. So the rationale came from from that and and we had existing leadership pieces that we we think are robust and have had an impact. And and we, we base that on the leadership traits that we've developed over years through internal and external key stakeholders and how we're developing that on courses that exist seems to be working and having an impact and the feedback we're getting is some of this stuff's really useful so we've sort of worked out which pieces we think are might be most appropriate at a certain pinch point through that program so essentially what we've done is we've taken pieces that we think are successful from ongoing and current programs and put them into that so we were two years into the player to coach program and that seems to have had the same effect so it needs adapting and amending all the time like i said genuinely we're trying to turn the dial and make it better all the time, but that's how it started. And what about your high potential, high performance program? You mentioned to me before that you're currently at the test and learn stage. Can you describe how you're currently rolling that out? I think it's something you've discussed here at Leaders as well in the past. You're right. It is still somewhat at a test and learn stage. What we've offered and started to deliver so far has been two or three programs. One is internally, one of the areas that we thought was important for education to support was national teams coaches. So almost an offer of support that we put out for our national team coaches. So they will be highly qualified. They, they will have A license and pro license, but for their job, what offers of support can FA education make and support around for the national team coaches? So that was one project and program of sort of suite of work that we, we started last year and we're going to grow this year. So that's, that's, that's been interesting some of it around coach development, some of it around insight around players learning and setting environments and using other agencies to help us deliver that. So there was different pieces to that. Another, another one that's different, but in the same space of high performers, example I'd give is it's almost a mini and alumni program. So it goes back to my previous point. Once um, we've got technical directors that have been through our program, they're working at a really high level. So there's some of those technical directors are working in the WSL, in the Premier League, internationally. They don't need another course necessarily. They're working at a really high level. So what is it that they might want and need that will help them, that they'll, that they'll engage with, that will think add value that, that is really impactful? So we did some research. We did some due diligence with them and we ran a leadership development skills program um, through, you know, with the support of leaders. 
last year with a small group. That seems to have landed well. So we're going to continue that in a different way so that, again, the same point, it doesn't just stop and that's it. You did a year. Thanks very much. It has to be, well, what's next? So we're continuing that and we're going to run that again for a new group of alumni technical directors. So what that creates is that's just one small demographic. But what that creates is a, is a principle to do that for other demographics. Uh, and they, they might look different. So it might be that it's a leadership program in the same way, but it's for first team managers. So we could do that. It might be that it's actually slightly different because we might have some really, really high potential under 18s coaches who have, again, in terms of a course suite system, may have the UEFA A license, may not want or need the UEFA Pro license, or may find it difficult to access that program. So again, what's next for them? There's almost a stutter. So what do we, how do we understand the landscape? How do we understand what the needs of the 18s coaches might be? And then what would add impact to them? So it might be another smaller program that's linked to really uh, um, helping them and developing them beyond a license in more technical tactical aspects, maybe more to do with player development aspects. But there's some, some other work that we can do going forwards that, again, the sort of fluidity of it and the reacting to the needs of the game if we can do that, I think we're starting to extend our reach and our more bespoke offer, I suppose. You know, the ones I've described are for two particular demo, you know, groups of people, national team coaches and some technical directors. There's lots of those people working in the game and some of them are fantastic and they don't need a course. They want some support. How do we do that? So that's the kind of space we're trying to get into. And in a similar vein, I'm very curious to ask you, Phil, how you help to prepare and support coaches and managers for the stresses and potential volatility of the world of professional football. What are some of the skills on which you can focus and provide mentoring support? It's not impossible that a coach could have a bad run of form with their team and find themselves out of the dugout, sacked. Yeah. So the brutality of the game is something, isn't it? So, and, and the beauty of it, right? So that's why we love it. So I think anybody that has been a manager will tell you that it, you can't prepare for it until you've done it. So you don't understand, recognize the levels of pressure and accountability possibly that you will face day to day um, when you take that role. So there are some things that we should recognize that we can do as a course and some things that we should recognize that actually we can probably help support you around. But can we give you that experience and prepare you completely for that? Well, maybe not. But what we can do, I think, is, is help you develop some of the skills, attributes, traits and understandings of how you might be able to deal with some of the situations that you don't know what they'll be like before you get there. But actually, when you get there, you will have some resilience. You will be able to make decisions under pressure. You will be able to think clearly. You will have a better understanding of yourself and how you interact with the world and what impact that has on your team when, when you're in a good mood, when you're in a bad mood, whatever that. So there's some areas that we think in terms of leadership and competencies that we try to develop along the way so that when you're in circumstances of challenge or pressure, um, that, that you are maybe hopefully able to deal with better. So I think that's where we would come at it. And then at the same time, as well as that, that's on a personal level and a sort of trait and characteristic level. But I'd also say we do try to expose them to people who've been through it. We, we will always get the alumni coming in. The knowledge share, the peer-to-peer -peer learning, the problem solving, we'll always do that. The, the buddying up of the mentors, the tutors with, with the learners helps with that. The tutor groups helps with that because we can share that experience. And, and those experiential elements within the program which is a, a big part of how we try to set all of our courses up so it is it's reality based so can we take a group of a smaller group of first team coaches and and take them to an, a, 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 a club or, or an environment where they get exposed to some of that and they get some time with the people that are actually working at that and they'll probably have some of that anyway so we do try to work on the experience as well but i think until you've actually done it 
they would probably tell me that they didn't know, they didn't expect, they didn't see that coming. So we try to help them with some of the areas that might help them in there. And final question. How do you work at the FA to support ethnic and gender diversity on your courses and programmes? What progress have you made and what steps still need to be taken? Diversity and inclusion is at the centre of everything that the FA does and, and as it should be. There's a number of ways that we are I'm working with that. The first one is representation. So I, I guess what we our intention is to have representation of the game through all of our courses and programmes. So if that's players, what's the representation in terms of ethnicity? What's the representation in terms of gender? So that's, our, that's where we're needing to get to. Um, the ways that we do that are, are, are a few. So one is a positive intent. So in terms of you mentioned selection previously, that that's always you know, part of our thinking because it, it should be because we don't, like I said, we want to be representative of the game. Part of it is that we, we link closely with the lead for diversity and inclusion at the FA in, in, in my world is a terrific guy called Butch Fazell. So he has a lot of interaction with us in our teams, our management teams, our leadership teams, and he'll also input and impart information on our programs. So we've started this year, one of the uh, is, is adding a part of every module where we will have a, a specific session around diversity and inclusion. It'll be usually led by Butch and a team of coach developers within that. So that that's a thread that runs throughout that course. It's not a drop in. It becomes something that we learn about and unpick and, and work in together through the whole course. So that's a key part to it. It has to be embedded through the whole program. So we'll roll that out through the other courses that we've got. So it becomes a part of everything we're learning. It's at the center of it. The intention to increase the um, representation on the programs is part of it in terms of where we're at now. With regard to the, the, the coaching courses, it's close. It's not there yet. We haven't, we haven't got it quite to the level where it is representative. But the, uh, the example we have with the UEFA Pro license this year is currently 40% of that program, of that cohort, is non-white men. So it's in the right direction. And that's typical across A licenses, typical across B license. We have got some work to do on the gender. So in terms of a gender split, it's still predominantly male. So that's another next step we need to, to improve. Um, and then probably across talent ID as well. So I think in terms of talent ID areas, again, all those other areas exist. The, the uh, diversity inclusion work through the programs as a thread, the work with that team specifically. And the next steps would be to look at the representation in the game and try and replicate that through our courses. Phil Church, thank you very much for your time today. Very welcome. Thank you. 